Hey, Sean. How you doing? I'm great, David. How are you? Good. You, uh, you going to take your dog to uh, drive around and see the Christmas lights? Uh, at some point, probably. I don't, I don't right. think she cares about the lights. She's she's right there. Well, that's a new thing I heard about, that, uh, that sometimes the dogs like to see the lights. So I'm sure she enjoys it. Um, I think she would more so be focused on the squirrels or anything else that, that, that. that's around the area that are not the lights. But Maybe the lights aren't that interesting. Yeah, maybe it's something we could try out. <laughs> it's, a thing, it's a thing I saw on the internet. You should try it. If we're doing this actually weekly, then like we won't have so many life updates. Any any life updates? You know, family Christmas parties. Uh, went to a brewery recently with the dogs. That's what the dogs like. They actually like beer, not the lights. But yeah, now outside of that, just uh, getting ready for this podcast, closing out the work year. Same old, yeah. same old. How you? No, pretty much the same. Yeah, finally getting decorations up and things like that. All the Christmas gifts uh, purchased. Let everybody know that I want a uh, want a new webcam for Christmas so that the podcast will look better. <laughs> I was actually asking my coworker who does a podcast, and I was yeah. like, "So we might buy equipment if this if this starts yeah. doing well, or we think it's good enough." And he was like, "You actually just need a good mic. Everything else is fine." Well, that's in that uh, you got you got one review that said our uh, my audio is pretty good, so I'm like, "Well, maybe I'll go webcam first, then uh, microphone later." We'll yeah, going. yeah, definitely. Um, by the way, are you did you come prepared with a drink this time or not? Not, not no, too much. Not even. I was, I was completely, I was on, I was late, but on time when I said I would be late. Nice. Well, I got some Johnny Walker black that I'm enjoying. So Johnny Walker black. that was a gift. Was that a gift? No, I actually bought a couple of these from the, from the ABC store here in Virginia. Yeah. They're like two bucks. Well, they're like two and a half dollars, which is actually pretty good for Johnny Walker black. So I know you, yeah, you can get it for a good deal at Costco. If you're, you know, you're committed to uh, Johnny Walker as your drink and you want a bunch. Let's see. I'm more, I'm more in line with the, the Costco brand as opposed to just Johnny Walker. <laughs> I haven't tried the Costco. Let's see. As far as podcast, podcast stuff. The other question is podcast name, right? Do we just stick with um, Sean and David? I don't know what's it called. Have a mythology podcast or something? Or I thought it was Sean and David, a Norse mythology podcast. A Norse mythology podcast. There, yeah. I can't even remember what I named it. Yeah, I know that we discussed potentially two ravens. I'm trying to design the logo with this, which is a crappy tree that's supposed to be Yggdrasil, yeah. the world tree. Yeah. And then like two of those like squiggly line birds that are supposed to be ravens. But instead of Hugh uh, and Noonan, they're actually going to be Sean and David. Right. The two ravens. Uh, yeah. I like it. Monique, she made a logo. I'm going to have to send it to you later. She also had a podcast name idea. One name idea was Synapse. Uh, some today, the world tree looks a little bit like a neuron. That's one idea. The other idea was uh, Mythos, which is an idea I could talk about too. The idea difference between the logos and the mythos of maybe we'll get our viewers to vote on a, a podcast name ideas. Yeah, no, we can do that. I also think it would just be funny if like we get followers for our podcast that happens to be the Sean and David, a Norse mythology podcast that shows that we have zero creativity between the two of us. No, and it it is actually my favorite thing about it being like, I kind of prepared, but I kind of just sat down on my laptop and opened up Zoom and now it's a podcast. I always thought that if I did a podcast, it would be called Sean Learns History. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so those are some things. If anybody's listening, you can let us know if you like those names. I'm sure you know how to contact us. We'll have to get like a Twitter eventually and we'll have to have an email. Yeah. And when we have three people actually vote on the name and two people vote on like one name, we're like, wow, whopping like near <laughs> 70% of our followers wanted this no, name. We have to report it this one. And we don't want to be that podcast yeah, that changes its name like three or five times uh, before it's even started. But we got to figure it out before episode 10. I, I do like the fact that we're looking at a new logo because our current logo is literally the words S and D. <laughs> 
logo is one of the least effort. I probably spent seven minutes on it. Nice. I think my uh, tree idea or my tree that I made was pretty, pretty okay. I just kind of want to tweak that, but I'm interested in seeing what Monique has. Well, to figure out music, I know you mentioned you want to play, ha, use the song Jumpin' Jack Flash. I'm oh, guessing yeah. by the well, rolling that didn't make any sense to me, but it popped in my things pop in my head sometimes, John. But it sounded good, but I did not learn how to play it on the keyboard. But I was gonna I was gonna play a little musical intro that'll happen one day. We'll figure it out. If it's not gonna be that song, which I'm okay with, we'll uh, figure something else. But you <laughs> you'd, can be, play you'd it. be okay with it being a different song. Yes, but you can play it. <laughs> I, I want that to happen. Should we begin? Sean, do I let you begin again? What have, what have you been reading on these sources of Norse mythology? Most of my research into Norse mythology is going to be looking at the primary sources that we have, the, which are the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. Poetic Edda is like a series of uh, poems that was made you know, over thousands of years ago based on the way the language is written down. A lot of people think that it comes from a time when the actual religion was practiced by people in Scandinavia. Then there's the Prose Edda, which was written by Snorri Sturluson, a Icelandic, like I guess, politician in the 13th century. And he actually alludes to some of the poems that you see in the Poetic Edda. And he actually makes it much easier to read like a version of the Norse myths in a way that we would read it today, as opposed to these poems that were translated and don't translate well. No, because I've, I've looked a little bit on Wikipedia about those two sources once you mentioned them. And the Poetic Edda is hard to read. And even one of the other books I like, references it, puts little pieces of it there. And I like poetry, but I've never really gotten poetry, right? And so I read it, I'm like, I don't get any of this, yeah. Yeah, and keep in mind, it was it was initially written down in Old Norse. The way, the way that I understand it is, you know, back then they didn't have like televisions, they didn't have anything, you know, material to entertain them. So like one of their art forms may have been like a form of poetry or storytelling to like paint a picture of something. So like, let's say you're telling a story via a poem and you want to talk about a dragon named Fafnir. And so like you have this seer who's like making like a whole display in front of people at like a village or something like that, like a fire, smoke, et cetera, like an eccentric like outfit until like say something like, oh, the flaming fire giant Fafnir like spreads its flaming wings. And like in like with all the apps in like all of that, you're, you start to paint a picture of like a dragon. I do love alliteration, so that's a good one. Yeah, and so my my understanding is that the poetic Edda was written down with these poems to where like the words when said in Old Norse are supposed to like make it more meaningful. And it's kind so of unless like you really can read the Old Norse, it's like kind of not quite doing it for you sometimes. Yeah, so if you if you understand that, it's fine, but it does make for a difficult read. And the poetic Edda is like forty percent stories about the Norse gods, but then sixty percent of it is stories on heroes, specifically the family of the Volsungs which I would just recommend reading a translation of the actual story, the saga of the Volsungs. The Poetica is cool because it contains like pretty interesting poems where you can piece together the parts that allow you to tell a story about what they may actually believed. What's really cool is if you're reading this, when the religions practice, it's so vague on what they're talking about that there's a huge assumption that what is being said is widely known already. If let's say there's no internet, no television, but you and I want to discuss like how a game of football works. And we write that down. We say, oh, and this person scored a touchdown and they, then they were up seven. Let's say there's no internet or anything like that. Then a thousand years ago, somebody comes into contact with our like yeah. conversation and they're like, well, what the fuck is a touchdown? Right. Are they didn't explain. We didn't define our, uh, our terms. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if we, if we said that anybody in this world would know what we're talking about. And so that's where 
if we only had the poetic edda, which I would say is more so primary source than the prose edda, we really wouldn't understand everything that we knew. So the, the guy who wrote the, the prose edda, he, he, he was close enough to the time period and the real, the culture that it all came out of that he could do a summary that we can make sense of. Yeah. So he, but he, he actually didn't write it down to like, say, here's what my ancestors fought practice in a religion 300 years prior, but he more so wanted to teach the modern day people of his time, how to write old Norse poetry. The way old Norse poetry was conveyed was to talk about the Norse gods. And so in teaching people about how to conduct like old Norse poetry, he actually just wrote, wrote out the stories of the gods, but you can actually see it for what it is without those like broad generalizations that assume the reader knows what you're talking about. And you can actually put together pieces of what you're talking about. Does that make sense? Sir? No, it does. And well, one of the things I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, when we were thinking of like what the different episodes should be about, right. But th- this is really interesting to me right, right now is really about the sources, right. So I'm thinking maybe we're even kind of diving into it now, but maybe we'll get to some of that, the creation myths too, right. Cause what, what you're talking about, I'm just thinking about the, they call it the oral tradition, right? That people, and this is for a lot of cultures, right? They tell their stories person to person, right? And then, you know, there's, there's a skill set you get when you have to be able to, you know, tell a 10,000 word story entirely out of your mind. And you want it to still be pretty similar to how you heard it before because you want the next generations to learn it. So a culture that's not literate, right? That doesn't write, that they can still have, you know, 10,000 word stories, right? They can have incredibly long stories. And that's some, somewhere I heard, it's probably, I don't want to bring them into this too much unless... Unless we do want to, I think he mentioned this this idea. So I, I don't know the real research on it, but that those stories can stay pretty consistent, right? There's some kind of research that supposedly is going to say that that's a fact that you know over ten thousand years, people in an oral tradition can actually keep the story pretty similar. It's not like the game of telephone where you have no idea where you know what was it ten people ago. When people care about these stories, they they like pass it along. Uh, the important parts stay there. I think I think for the most part too, but you also see that there is a game of telephone, not necessarily with time here, but with like location. I think like over time, if you have one storyteller that takes a little bit of liberties here and there from the actual story, that's widely known and compare that to somebody from 500 miles away, that's doing the same thing. I think that's where you'll get some like parts of the story that may be a little bit different and stories pro in particular, he, he was, he was a Christian. Um, so you can also sort of, picture certain points of the stories where he looks at the old Norse stories about the Norse gods through a Christian lens. Um, And you, you can see that in some of the stories where he tells a story that's found in the poetic edda, but he adds something about like a God maybe losing. So when you see that it's changed from that version to that version, you get a sense, but that's also what I just popped in my head is that the culture is changing as the stories are changing, right? As he changes that story, the Icelandic or the Norse culture has already changed. And, and we have to ask ourselves, our primary source for understanding the stories, um, like from beginning to end, is from Snorri Sturluson, who was a Christian writing 300 years after this religion was practiced. You know, how many times did the story change up until then? Well, and, that, and that's why I wanted to bring those ideas last time, last episode about like, what is true and what is even the reality, right? Sort of that question, like you said, that's the primary source. But it would be another question to find a guy who sort of lived in the a little shack somewhere in Norway, really far north. He barely talks to anybody that's, you know, of our modern society, right? If he has a story that his grandpa told his grandpa, is that as good of a source as something written uh, at the year, like 1000? Is that, was that the year on the, that is, or 
800. Uh, I guess in Iceland, they converted in the year 1000. Um, yeah. It may have been different parts, like in different parts of Scandinavia, like Nor Norway and Denmark. Yeah. Uh, but in Iceland, it's it's considered an agreed upon like switch over from Norse paganism to Christianity in the year 1000 by like their uh, by their little council, which is called the Althing. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a king involved. Like in Norway, in Denmark, in Sweden, I, I believe the, the monarchs converted first and that sort of trickled down to the, what the people practice. But in Iceland, it was more so the politicians that were a part of that, the all thing. They, they made that decision. So it wasn't necessarily right. a monarch, but. But some of the people, know, yeah, like you, you talk to them and they'll say, oh, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian just because I'm, I'm supposed to be because that's what the, the governor says we should be. But then you look at what they're actually living in their life and it might be all this old Norse paganism. Well, who knows how long it survived after after the year thousand in Iceland? Oh, say again. So, what was it? It survived. Who knows how long uh, like Norse paganism actually was practiced in Iceland after the politicians there decided that the island was going to convert to Christianity? Some people wouldn't just say, "Fine, let's do it." Like, if if religion means that much about much to somebody, then what's to stop them from like say like telling their children and grandchildren, "No, this is the way to go." Fast forward a hundred years, there's still going to be remnants of that. And, and, and maybe it goes kind of underground, but some people are still doing it. Yeah. And like today there's, there's like a resurgence of it. There's a resurgence of Norse paganism called Asatru, which I, I really don't know anything about the specifics of it. I think it's up to the, whoever's practicing it, their Tradition. interpretation of it. And it goes um, back, right. Cause the sources, yeah. Like you're saying the only true source essentially scientifically kind of proved, right. Is the poetic Edda. The other thing is written by a Christian guy. So if we wanted to, you know, figure out what did he change? There's only one, one more source to go back that's more original. Yeah. One thing I'm going to say about that, um, just with the poetic edda, that was also in the format that was like discovered was probably also recorded down by Christians. Yeah. But because of like the archaic language, when you compare it to Snorri's time and what they found, they they believe that they can trace it back to when Norse paganism was actually practiced. And they think that those stories are more so genuine. It's It's sort of a situation where, let's say you go back to Shakespeare's time. And you are supposed to record a translation from old English, or I think that's like middle English or something like that, yeah. and then present to your class. And let's say there's a part like called, where for art thou Romeo? And you translate that to where the hell are you, Romeo? I can't find you. It's cold outside. Um, let's say you, your translation's consistent, but then you like forget one word where you're like, where for art thou or something like that. And then people yeah. are like, oh, well, this may have been recorded from Shakespeare's time, not in the year 2021. Right. That's where they have evidence that says the poetic edda is more so right. genuine. But sorry, is, I know. I no, is is there a good book that really gives kind of that balanced perspective on on the poetic edda? I'm trying to really like understand what it's saying and what other trying to find other sources of like anthropology and um, stone carvings and everything else, trying to tie it all into like because like you said, it's, it's not an easy thing to interpret. Is there a good book that like it would have the original kind of text or at least maybe the old Norse or maybe the English and then. I'm sure there is. I, I I would have to look into it, but I do know like they they, they are still finding like trinkets today or like totems, and like they're also finding like these rune stones that are that are written down like were they were recorded a thousand years ago, like in Denmark or something, where it's kind of consistent with a a people that have practiced this religion or consistent with a certain king that may have existed that was known to practice this religion or something like that. And that's the thing, right? There, there was no Pope to tell you how to practice it, right? So you mentioned about the modern day practitioners here, right? Whether we're talking about Iceland or we're talking about Norway or even just within the range of Norway, right? Interpreting it the way they wanted to interpret it, right? There wasn't one person to tell you this is how you have to believe it. The images that were powerful, that seemed true to them. 
people grabbed onto it, right? So then you see those images show up. Exactly. Now, should we talk about the, the myth then, the creation? Yeah. Should we jump into it? Yeah, sorry about that. I know we, we got yeah. on a rant, which isn't a bad well, thing. That's, and that's, that's why I wanted, I wanted all of episode three to be about that. And I think maybe it makes sense. We've introduced the idea. Maybe do something with it. Still more. Let, let's do it. Cool. So the creation myth, going back to the poetic era and the prose era, there's two poems within the poetic era that contain some information. And I'm, I'm reading my notes here. The two poems in the poetic era that contain information on like the beginning, the creation myth of Norse mythology. One is called Volospa. And I, I think I mentioned this in our episode negative two or whatever it was last week. Zero point two. Odin wakes the seeress from the grave and asks her for some of her like cosmic knowledge. And she gives to him. She talks about like beginning of everything and the end of everything. And one of the cool things about both the Prosetta and the Poetic Edda is that you you see there's a lot of world building between conversations of two of the characters, in this case, Odin and Mysterious. So you learn a lot about this world because Odin is asking Mysterious these questions. That's a neat uh, literary trick too, right? Because if I tell you, well, this is what their cosmology said and there were nine realms, right? It's like, well, why should I believe David, right? Well, Odin said this. And I wrote it down, yeah. it, right? It's like, oh yeah, Odin did say that. Exactly. In the Poetic Edda, another poem that goes into it briefly is, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Veth Ruth Mismal, which is also considered, I guess, the contest with the riddle weaver. Odin has, and there's something consistent with Odin is that he's got this lust for knowledge. He wants to gain all the knowledge in the world. So he seeks out this giants who I believe his name is actually, translates to riddle weaver, Odin sits down in his hall and then they have a conversation where they ask each other questions to see who has more wisdom yeah. in the que- in like a lot of the questions. Oh, who was the first God or like, who was the first giant? And then like little we will answer and then vice versa, more world building based on a conversation from two people. Yeah. Odin actually wins that contest. Odin asks a question like, well, what did I say to my son at his funeral pyre? And little we said, well, I don't know you win. And so <laughs> And that's just a cool ending to the poem. Then in the prosetta, there's a series of like three main stories in the prosetta. The first one is where you learn a majority of what Snorri has to say about Norse mythology. And it's called, I'm going to butcher this as well, Gilfin, uh, Gilfagini. I wonder how we could get better at our Norse pronunciations. Because I'm, it's probably I'm not going to come from me. Maybe you can do it. I think you can have like a, low, I don't know, maybe like a lower voice where you can like really stress. Well, that, yeah, but I don't even know like what I'm supposed to be trying to do, but maybe I'll look into it. So I have no answers, no better way to do it. Um, do a little German and Greek. So maybe, yeah, like. Yeah. So in this poem, or it's not even a poem, it's a story. There's a King Gilfi who is considered the King of Sweden. He goes to this hall that seats three people on a throne. One's name is high. One's name is just as high. And then the other is third. And I forgot what it's, I forgot if like one of them is supposed to be Odin or if all three of them combined are supposed to be like Odin. Um, Gilfi calls himself Gangleri and he starts asking these three kings a question just about their world. And then from them, you hear about Norse mythology and a lot of the first like little segments are about the beginning. So I just want to preface that Bolaspa and Vathruthanaspa from the Poetic Edda and then Gilfi. Gilfenagamine from the Prosetta are where I got I got this story from. And so there it's in slightly different forms in those, but then did you kind of put it together as like here's here's the story, here's what you need to know. Yeah. And again, Snorri, they actually quote Volaspa. They they quote in this and they they give the Sirius a name a Siebel, which I don't think is actually written down in the Poetic Edda, but like you can pick up 
conflictions in the poetic Edda, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And there's one I'll mention here in a second. Um, so here it is. We'll, we'll move into the creation myth. Before anything, there were two worlds. Up to the north, there was the icy world of Niflheim. In the south, there was the fiery lava world of Muspel, or some people call it Muspelheim. In the middle of that, there was this um, primordial void known as Gagunigap. Gagunigap, excuse me. So you have Niflheim, Gagunigap, and Muspel. The ice from Niflheim and the fire and lava from Muspel expand. And so when they meet up in Gagunigap, the ice starts to melt, and then you see this figure emerge, this giant's named Umir. It's spelled Y-M-I-R. So Ymir comes to life. This gets pretty funny because there's also a primordial cow named Athumla. From my understanding is Ymir nourishes himself from the milk of Athumla, and Athumla licks the salted ice from Niflheim for her nourishment, and eventually a figure forms from the ice that she licks. A figure, that figure is actually the first of the, of the gods, and his name is Buri. Buri eventually has a son named Bor. Bor has three sons named Odin, Vili, and Ve. So that's where Odin comes into the story. Ymir is who's mentioned in um, both Völuspá and Fathruthnaspá is, is considered the first giant. He's the first of the being of giants. And I only reread this last night. I noticed something weird because in Vathruthnaspál, Odin or the Riddleweaver claim that the actual oldest giant is a being called Urgulimir. And I, in rereading the poet, the Prosetta, so f- this is from the different source, right. it actually says that they're the same being. Um- Umir is what the gods call him. Orgulmir is what the frost giants call them. And that's the thing I've noticed with, uh, with Norse, or at least anything I'm looking at the myths, maybe it's because it's over so many years, but the words change, right? Like how, how Odin or Wotan, or all, it's all yeah, different spellings. And- Which is fun. And like, you'll see with Odin, you'll see like Wotan, Wotanaz, Odin. Woden, um, Voden with a V. It's it's pretty, it's pretty cool. But you have the gods, you have the giants, and this is where I start to understand like where Ymir's kids come from because I like I know in the story I mentioned you mentioned Argolmir, whose son was Thruthgamir, and Thruthgamir's son was Burgomir. Since it's the same person, now I know like that's Ymir's that's Ymir's line as well. Yeah. Um, but Ymir, Umir, excuse me started sort of procreating by himself, like one foot had a kid with another. He had a yeah. couple kids through his armpits. That's what I'm And that started the race of the giants. Odin, Billy, and they decide to kill Ymir. Yeah. And in like the rush of blood that comes from his body, because he's huge. Yeah. It, it, like a flood kills all of the giants, except for Burgomir and his wife. They escape on a box, yeah. which is very funny because there's a flood myth. Yeah, in right. mythology. That's what I'm thinking. Um, but this ultimately starts the eternal war between the gods and the giants. So ultimately, Odin, Billy, and they use parts of Emer's body to create literally everything. Um, they yeah. create the earth, which is Midgard. They create Asgard. They use parts of Emer's body to like build the defenses of Midgard and Asgard. Um, the clouds that we yeah. look at are Emer's brains. Yeah. I think the soul is like the sky. It was um, on the eyebrow, is that correct? I, I you might be right there. I, I saw actually, it somewhere. I saw that somewhere. Yeah. But ultimately, this is where the world tree Yggdrasil comes into the story. 
and this is where like the nine worlds come into the story. What's interesting is that Odin supposedly created everything. Like he, he created all of this, like Odin, Villain Bay created all of this. They created the first humans. They found a two, they found two pieces of driftwood that they named Ask and Embla. That's like kind of the Adam and Eve of this story, but those are the first humans they gave it life. Odin is considered the all father for all of this. Cause he is like the head of the gods. He created all humans and he supposedly like had something to do in the creation of Yggdrasil and the nine worlds where this doesn't make sense is that Muspelheim and Niflheim actually existed. And the fire giant Surt lived in Muspelheim, you know, before uh, Muspelheim like linked up with Niflheim. So even before the frost giant, he was maybe was older or maybe they're unclear. Yeah. Yeah, it, and that's where it it's it doesn't make sense to me often because was Surtur kin to Ymir or was like Surtur just like kind of like lumped in because they fought together against the gods at Ragnarok? I think that's pretty much it. I, I tried to like sum that up in three to five minutes. No. I, it could have been 10 minutes, but that's the creation myth uh, for Norse mythology. They have like separate stories on how like the sun and the moon are like driven across the sky. I, I don't, I didn't follow too much into that. I more so. No, and at, at, some, at some point I want to go into more detail on what all the nine realms are, but what I liked about is he describing the, uh, the creation myth, partly it's because I read something similar to see that my understanding of it is matching up with your understanding. Right. So as we're talking to an audience like that, we're talking about a myth and this is kind of the, the myth we're talking about, right. Cause you can get it from, if you bring it up because I'm reading a book on Wagner's uh, opera, we're talking about that source or, but you know, we're talking about the poetic Edda and then, I'm reading the book, um, The Echo of Odin, and it describes that pretty much exactly the way you described it. And he goes into all the psychological analysis of even just what is this creation myth about. But the other things I thought were important from what you said is giving everybody the context, right? There's there's giants and they're gods, right? And they're kind of different. I forgot that part. There's this primordial cow that kind of both nurtured the giants and created the gods. One thing I don't understand is why Odin, Billy, and they killed Ymir in the first place. Like, yeah. was that just this growing resentment because there were two sort of species that were so close to each other or it's it or is it like a oh well i'm odin i know everything and i think we should kill ymir to start well and that might make start. something yeah might say something about human nature right and thinking about like you know if odin and all you know an almost all-powerful god that is like a four-year-old toddler what would happen if you had you know with no, no supervision no culture right all powerful toddlers with spears would they go gang up and kill some giants right like that's Sounds about right. I mean, it's not a, a hey, if, world. Yeah. If that's true, then where the hell was his father, Boar? You know, like what, what he was yeah. a pretty shitty father. He actually, actually, Boar, um, his wife was a giantess named Vesla. Yeah. And so Odin's mother is a giant anyway. Right. There's, there's a lot of, the, yeah, the, the, the two are the real, because that was actually kind of a question I had too, right? The real gods, because so many of them are half giant, half god. Loki was a giant through his mother. His mother's name is Laffy. And, and it's funny, in the MCU, his father's name is Laffy. But in Norse mythology, yeah. his mother's name is Laffy. Right. And right. I want to say his father might be a god. I, I would have to look into it. But I think, it, yeah, and this will have an episode. I'm thinking how to structure these episodes, too, because I want to spend, you know, we're not going to get to all the nine realms today, right? I want to talk about this, the part you just described and, like, look into it deeper, right? But that's just for, for people to know, right? That, yeah, there's this idea of giants and gods, and we're going to, like, get into more describing who each of they are. I mean, you can do a whole episode on Loki, right? A whole episode on those on Odin, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Odin, Loki, Balder. I think those can like each one, each character can take up like two or three episodes, I'd say. Yeah. Let me think. So back to, so back to the, the creation, right? So the thing, this was the question. Well, I asked, what were the questions that I had posed to you? I had two. 
One was something earlier in the episode, I don't know if I should go back to about um, the seerists and these ideas of like, who were there, like the priests of their religion, or did they have anything like that, like a shaman or a priest or, I don't know if I should go back there or just stick on this uh, creation myth now. Well, I, I guess we could discuss that because again, you know, one of the main sources we have for the creation myth is Volaspa, which is the prophecy of the theorists. And to be honest, I don't know how the ceremonies were um, back in the day. I know that there was this one, um, uh, there was this one guy named Ibn Fadlan who witnessed something live and then wrote about it, which I think was a little, which I think was maybe more so closer to the year thousand in Sweden at this, uh, this site called Uppsala. You can actually visit in Sweden. It's, it's like, it's still a city, but a lot of people say like that, that location had some significance um, in the practice of the of Norse paganism. But when it comes to what people actually practice maybe in their homes, I think it probably depends on the house. It probably depends on the location. And so I'm thinking like, was there a local medicine man who like knew the religion better than the average person or just it was everybody knew it themselves? Right? I guess there were the storytellers probably, right? Would be. I, I would say it's the storytellers. And, and right. so let's say you are in this world where, you don't have television and you don't have an iPhone. And yeah. it really sucks that those are the first two things that I come up with in my head for like, oh, yeah. things I can do to have fun and entertain yeah. myself. And um, well, that's our culture now. Yeah. That's where we get our culture from right now. Yeah, exactly. So if you're like at a farm in Norway in the year 700 or so, like, how would you know about the Norse religion? How would you practice it? My guess is there probably was a figure that may travel from like town to town or farm to farm and tell stories. And right. that was their craft. And they probably knew how to write, read and write runes, but like within the way that they communicate these stories and they like painted pictures with their words, that would probably be something that, you know, like if you're a family with three kids, they would get excited about like right. the seer is here. He's going right. to tell us and about Odin and Thor. I wonder if maybe great. there's like, you know, like the, there's the one grandpa or the one grandma in town who like really knows the stories, but then they get to like update their stories with this traveling person or something. I don't know. That's my thought. Yeah, that could be it. And there's probably also like a grandmother, a grandfather. It's like, Oh, if you steal my cookies, Loki's going to take a finger, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, some, some people have that gift for knowing, being able to keep track of a whole, you know, thousands and thousands of words of story. Yeah. So I, I don't think we know, like there might be a book out there that, That'll be another episode if I can find out more. But I just wanted to wanted to get your knowledge while we were on air about uh, that question that came up for me. Just one kind of digression back to the because you're saying that where kind of it all begins is Odin trying to gain wisdom. And as you were saying it, you you went back and forth whether you were saying knowledge or wisdom. Which one do they say mostly? Like, what is it that Odin wants? Is it? I mean, I I, I would say wisdom. Yeah. Because I think with wisdom there comes like this prestige of being like a very person of wisdom, like, or there's, there's this prestige of being like looked at as somebody that knows all and like, has this like higher level knowledge of the universe, but in like the stories themselves, how they paint a picture of him, like searching for wisdom is literally him knowing more things than other people. Like in, in the contest with the riddle weaver, like he told something that like the, the question that he won on was something that there's no way the riddle weaver would have known what he whispered into his dad's, his dead son's ear. Right. Like there's no but, way, but two, but two things were happening, right? So one was that that Odin knew a fact, or he, or he knew that somebody else didn't know this fact, right? So that he was wise in his uh, crafty trick, trickiness of that moment, right? So but, but there's many know. stories that go into Odin's like, and this could be an episode. Odin in his lust for like knowledge or wisdom, yeah. The first of which is when he goes to a a well, 
you know, at the roots of Yggdrasil. Um, and I think it's, it's this character named Mimir, yeah. who I think a lot of people put two and two together based on like the sources and said, and they found out that Mimir is actually Odin's uncle, but I don't think it's actually mentioned in the primary sources. I'm going to Somewhere I thought they said it was the, one of the weavers of fate. Um, are you refer- referring to Mimir or the Norns? Or- oh, the Norns. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Mimir is this character who drinks from this well, um, which I think they call the well of Mimir every day. And he, it gives him like this wealth of knowledge. Just imagine you drink something and you can like see everything. You'd see knowledge. And Odin eventually asks for a drink to which Mimir says, fuck off. I don't want to give you any of my, my well. Yeah. And then Odin like says, well, what if I sacrifice my eye? And yeah. so he pulls out his eye, throws it in the well, and then he gets to have a drink. And then all of a sudden he became like, enveloped like the with with this i wouldn't say it's just knowledge i would just say it's like this evolution of himself that allows him to like have wisdom if that makes sense and that's why i really wanted to make that distinction right knowledge and wisdom because you said that's how they set up the myths right and so it's the idea we're looking at these myths maybe we're trying to find some wisdom within them right and it's not just knowing facts about what city is what and what happened before what but wisdom is usually how it can be applied to our life right and it takes you know you this is another uh, stoic quote, I think, where you, you know, you, you gain wisdom with age, but you don't necessarily gain wisdom with age. You have to be thinking about things in the right way. You have to be looking for the right things. With Odin sacrificing his eye, right, you have to look for the right things to gain wisdom. And so are you, are you kind of like saying that like somebody that maybe practiced Norse paganism, if they were somebody that wanted to like gain this wisdom, they would look at a character like Odin who literally sacrificed an eye to get it. Is that what you're right. saying? Or? They, right, they would either, by, by reading the myths and thinking about the myths, they'd figure something out, they'd become more wise, or there's, that's why I'm wondering about these, if there were figures that kind of did the interpreting for them. So you would, person who knows a lot about Norse mythology, tell me what I should do here. And then that person looked to the myths or knew all the myths and could give you an answer that was very wise. Yeah, and that could be, and I know we discussed the, the poem in the Poetic at Ahabamal, which yeah. still makes sense if you're, if you want to use that story as like a source of how you should live your life in a world where if somebody wanted to, they could just probably walk into your house and kill you and probably get away with it. You know, like that's how you live your life. Right. The question, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely for another episode, right? The question of why not live your life that way, right? Because you, depending on your context, you could, right? The police are not going to catch you. It's not, you know, like you can get away with it, right? It's a rural enough area. Maybe that person's family would put together a posse and come track you down, right? But if they don't know who they're looking for, right? You're not, yeah, get by that way. Or is there any reason why it would be a wise thing to not do that, right? That's, that's, I'm not going to answer it, but that's the reason why you would look at it. There might be a good reason, right? You might see the people who tried that in the past in the myths and it didn't work out for them too well, right? So it's like, well, I could try it, but then I don't want it to go that way. Yeah, exactly. No, just as we're, as we're doing this, I'm realizing I'm like, there, there is so much to talk about on every topic, right? So we could do a overview or we could just episode and see where it leads us. And then the next episode is just wherever we got led up to. What do you think? I feel like it's going to be, it's going to be a, a system where we come up with an agenda, but then I get carried away and go on like some stupid rants. And then we come up with like 10, ado- 10 ideas of what we yeah. want to like have for 10 other episodes. And it's just going to blossom into this whole thing. That's never going to be finished, but we may right. eventually just repeat ourselves over and over again, but we'll see. Things we'll go <laughs> back to, and it goes back right as we gain some, uh, certainly as we gain some knowledge, if not any wisdom on how this North uh, Norse mythology works, right? That we will have something more to say on the different topics. The one thing I told you I wanted to talk about with this creation myth. So, so it is maybe, yeah, spending a little bit of time, right? With now you're talking about the Muspel and is it Niflheim? That's the yeah. hot and the cold region, right? 
So it's, mm-hmm. and a lot of this is me just kind of stealing from stuff that's in the echo of Odin, but then it's tying it into all of the things that I've learned other places where I'm like that, that just makes a lot of sense, right? That this is a, a source of wisdom. It's a source of how to understand how the world works. Actually, sometimes if I got it from the book or if it ties into my own thinking, because I don't think I told you that I studied Chinese medicine for part of my master's thesis. It's a very strange thing to, to have <laughs> studying Chinese medicine when you're in a psychology program. But so this idea is that they have the five elements, but then there's also the yin and yang. And I don't know, sometimes people think it sounds pretentious when you say yin and yang versus yin and yang, but I think that's how it's supposed to be said. So I'm going to go for it. It's like a very hipster way of saying it. I actually didn't know yin and yang was incorrect, but. I think it's just, if you're trying to say it kind of Chinese, and of course I can't speak Chinese, yin and yang is a little more. And as we will get better with our Norse too, and then we'll be real pretentious about our Norse. But, it seems like a very tough language. I feel like you're more optimistic on our uh, ability to learn. <laughs> and our ability to pronounce anything in Norse. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a nightmare. If we ever like get a lot of followers, episode 100, like episode 100, we're going to get comments and just be like, Sean is an effing idiot. You know, like this oh, guy. Turn off comments. Yeah. Yeah. Think he fucking knows this language. He doesn't. He's stupid. My thought, and this goes to, I think it's kind of building a base of why it's interesting for Norse mythology to be a religion, right? Is similar to this. Yin and yang ideas, it's a very uh, powerful idea under uh, Taoism and I think Confucianism as well. And I'm not sure if it influences Buddhism as well, but it is an idea of balance, right? And so you talk about Niflheim and Muspel, right? It's this fire, it's like hell, brimstone, lava, and then this ice cold region. And then they meet in the middle and this kind of the perfect conditions where life comes from, right? And that's actually somewhat scientific claim of how, how to yeah. bring up on earth, right? There had to be some heat and energy to make the chemicals combine to become life, right? going scientific, right? But that's the idea that you need both of those things, right? And that the, the balance is a good place to be. So I, I just want to put that idea towards you. I guess I haven't described yin and yang. So, so the, the yin generally is kind of considered like um, cold, not moving, right? It's sort of, you know, if you want to get like scientific about it, like potential energy, right? It doesn't mean that there's no energy, but it's just not moving and active. Yang describes things that are, that is movement, like a person running and exercising, right? But the the food is storing the energy, but then you burnt it up and now you're exercising. So yin and yang is kind of like static and chaos or static and change maybe is the best way. Yeah. And then that's where, right. No, I think that's correct. That yeah, that that the, the yang is, and there's something I had written down about Muspel, but it is that it's like, it's this chaotic energy, right? It's just, it's constant energy. There's nothing stationary about it. It's all fire motion and the energy, you know, moving. And the other one's just frozen. It's like a block of ice, right? There's nothing moving. Um, yeah. The ice may have like gotten more cold and like spread out or something, but I think it's primarily a must bell that kind of like was all over the place and like, shakes it up. but then yeah. it shakes up the, the cold realm, right? The, uh, the niffle hat, right? And then the thought is, so, you know, the Chinese medicine doesn't really talk about psychology a lot. That's why it was a strange, a very strange master's thesis to do, but I think it can be applied to that. They, they just, you know, it's, it's sort of like the Norse didn't really have a concept of philosophy or written words, right? Similarly, the idea of like psychology is a little foreign, I think, to traditional Chinese medicine, certainly. But you think about that as, this is another thing that comes from Echo of Odin, right? People's personality, right? If you're too frozen, right? If you're not, you're not moving, you're not getting enough exercise, you're just sitting still all day, right? And then you think of a person who just can't sit still, they're so anxious, they're bouncing off the walls. Each of those people need to take a little bit from the opposite camp. Yeah. A wise thing to do, right? That would be wisdom. So I'm just starting to the very basic level, we could say it, right? And yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds pretty accurate. Um, one quick thing, I was going to mention something from Habamal, but um, your description of yin and yang, this is going to sound even nerdier than me doing this podcast. Um, in the Elder Scrolls video game universe, yeah, 
the creation story in that universe is these two creatures that I think were aware of their existence, Anu and Padme. Yeah. They represented staticness and then chaos. And like they became like at odds and that like created this conflict that started the universe. Yeah. And, that, and that's the idea, right? That these are, these are the ideas that are just true, right? Whether you want to talk about what the biologists say about how evolution started, or you want to talk about what Chinese medicine says or the Norse say, everyone agrees somehow this is where it has to come from. Right? So like some, some form of like change or chaos. Right. Yeah. That, it, that it's, I don't know, this sort of just a, it's another way to think of it. How You're sexual go on and provocative, rant, aren't you? <laughs> no, how, how sexual and provocative do I go, Sean? That's the question for your podcast. Oh, how, yeah, it's, we, you, you rated this as this explicit, right? It's explicit. Like, so yeah, no, yeah, so the, 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 uh, the Chinese medicine, actually the yin is often actually like related to, um, the heat in your body, the, the yang, like the liver is very young. I think your heart is very related to your chi, which is also kind of like movement and energy, but your reproductive organs are very yin, right? Because there's your DNA, but it's in there still two things activate. And then energy comes in from your body to grow a new being. Now the, the code that was right, just kind of like written in a code about the moving creature. So that's that related to what you were talking about. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, like it probably does in some capacity, maybe it's just over my head, but like yeah. It's, but you're, like, you're asking, um, yeah, like about how does that lead to creation, right? Or something like that, right? Or how is that uh, that if you just have the DNA sitting there, that doesn't do any good either, right? Like it's DNA. Only. Yeah, there's got to be like some type of chemical reaction or like in the case of the Big Bang, there's got to be something that started it. So, yeah, like I think it, I, that's that's something I always thought was pretty cool. Whereas like like if you look at the, read the Christian Bible, it's like, oh, the creation story was there's a God and he decided to create the earth. Yeah. But like this is this kind of relates to two chemicals combining to create like something. It's almost like it's inevitable, right? When you have something that is so much energy and something that is so lack of energy. It's thermodynamics. They're going to meet and connect and try to balance, you know, and interact something there. The thing I, this, was, this came from your the, the early part where I was asking about the, uh, the Cirrus, but what, what your uh, description of Odin made me think of is he's not, you know, this is from, uh, from Christian uh, Sunday school and, and uh, that God is, you know, all powerful and all seeing. He knows all, he is all, he can do all, right? And that's not Odin, right? Like Odin, he, he wants to know all, right? And he's, and he's quite powerful, but maybe he's not all powerful, right? Is as I hear, like, what do you learn from a guy that's already all powerful and all knowing? It's like, oh, well, I better listen to him. Hopefully, he'll tell me something. Right? Whereas you just watch what Odin does and you learn what to do and what not to do. Yeah. And, and people like may have worshiped him as a God because in the stories, he, well, he did create humans or he, he was like part of the creation of yeah. humans, but he also was, he, he, he was born and he decided with his brothers to kill this primordial giant, Emir. And he kind of like took power on, he took power for himself. He learns from the Cirrus that like, I know the Cirrus like mentions the beginning of the universe, but then he like also learns that he's going to die at Ragnarok. And that's also discussed in both of the poems I mentioned from the poetic Edda. And so he is going to die and he knows he's going to die. One thing that I think people may have like looked up to Odin on there. And this is what maybe modern day practicing Norse pagans look up to Odin like for is that he took his own power. He knows he's going to die. So he could just ask himself, what the fuck does any of this matter? I might as well just like, just do it. Like I might as well just like lay here because none of this matters because I'm going to die. But he still like goes to the extreme to try to learn everything he can. He goes to the extreme to try to like, he's, he's considered like the God of war. He tries to like prepare to defend his home at Ragnarok, even though he knows he's going to lose. 
Um, and so he, he like just still does everything he can with what we have, what he has, despite the fact that it's his fate to die. Well, and, and that's the thing I, what I like about him, right, is to learn from an example, right? Rather than having somebody who's perfect, right? And this is the thing that perfectionism doesn't work. He can never be perfect. But rather than to, to learn from somebody who's perfect, what you're supposed to try to do, you can learn from somebody by example. It's a better way to learn from people. Yeah. And my, like if the Scandinavians actually followed this religion, um, or at least they followed what we know about this religion, yeah. and yeah. they believed in the three Norns that were at the foot of the tree and yeah. uh, at Yggdrasil, which I actually wrote their names down. The Norns are Earth, Vrathandi, and Skuld. They pretty much know the fates of all humans and all gods and all giants. And so humans think this. And so what if they if they know that anything that they do doesn't matter because there's this like sense of fate, like yeah. they, their fate is already predetermined. Yeah. Why do they do anything? Or like, yeah. what's the point? Like, um, they still try to go all out. They still try to like maybe yeah. say, I'm going to raid this uh, monastery in England because I want to gain wealth for myself. If I, I die, do something, right? I can't just sit at home all day. I got to go do something. Right? Yeah. If I die trying, then and that's I just sit at home all day. Yeah. So it's 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 very interesting to me, yeah. knowing that despite the fact that you know at some point if fate decides what we want that we're, what we're going to be. Someone's going to get the short end of the stick. There might be a Scandinavian that just like wants to get on a boat and drowns like right when he gets in the water and he can't swim. Um, not to get morbid, but like in this world, there could be a baby that just gets terminally ill. Yeah. I and, mean, if, if, if it is fate, right, it, it doesn't go the way you want it to go. It goes the way it goes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like this sense of like with Odin or potentially the Scandinavians that worship what we know about Odin, there's this sense of just being trapped. Um, but yeah. they want to like do whatever, they, like, let's say they're trapped in, the, in a box. They want to do everything, everything they can to like scream to the top of their lungs and just like break the top of the box open yeah. and become free, even though they know it's not going to happen. But why right. not fucking try if you need to like do it? And that goes into like a philosophical conversation of like, why do we do anything? Like, what's oh, the yeah. point? You know? Well, that is a, that's, that's Victor Frankl, the uh, existential psychiatrist who said his theory is that that life is essentially meaningless at one truth level, yet we give it meaning anyways, because we either do or we don't, right? It's, it's, then it's a choice, right? So that's the part where if everything else is faded, that's then the choice we have. I wanted to ask you, when, when I mentioned that I want to do the episode on the, the balance between the nine realms, you, I mentioned balance and then you mentioned fate. What was the connection there that made you think of fate when I talked about the idea of balance? Because I guess maybe there was like a confusion on my part on what you meant by balance. Yeah. And I guess yes. my understanding of what you meant was like the human mind's interpretation of their universe. Yeah. Why did like over these stories or whatever, why like over collective thought about how the universe was created, why did they come to the conclusion that Odin killed this God, then decided to use the body to create the entire world and its inhabitants and then create like humanity with Ascanembla? Why did they do that? And then why did they maybe not make Odin perfect? Like, the Christians claim their God is. And so like, I think that's more so when, when you asked me that question about what this means on balance, I didn't know if you were referring to something like that, or if it was something like humans see Odin in themselves. And like, there's just these imperfect beings. And there's like this balance between maybe what we were just discussing of somebody that doesn't feel like doing anything or somebody that wants to do everything. And you've got to like find that middle ground, as you mentioned. No, I like that connection. It, was, it, was, it wasn't obvious to me why balance goes to fate, but I had just been reading yeah, about the, uh, the, the Norns and fate. And uh, so I gave one, one Victor Frankl quote, and I'll give one more. 
this is my take on a, uh, I want to say it's Lucius, the Stoic quote on, on faith. Well, first of all, I just ask you, Sean, what's, what's, what's your view on, on faith? I don't know if, as far as like, you said kind of what some of the people who are following Norse religion, maybe how they like to see it. I, I think fate is going to be like it is predetermined because we're all going to pass away. Um, now, that's that's not true. I do think at some point the human race may um, get to the point where uh, like they can make at least the human consciousness immortal. Yeah. Um, but then like what happens when the universe dies in billion, like in a billion billions of years? Yeah. Or like, are we able to like find a loophole into another dimension? Who knows? But like... Is- so is there a role for free will? Do, do if, if things are fated, do humans have free will? Uh, yeah, and, and that's a good point because this is a good comparison to, you know, the Christian faith, which I was brought up yeah. in. And there's this kind of like thought that free will describes why there's evil in this world, despite the yeah. fact that the world was created by this all-loving, all-powerful right. being. So what, but you can manifest this free will into doing things right and then get eternal life in the kingdom of heaven or if you fuck up then you're going to hell so like catholics kind of like had this thought about free will whereas norse pagans may have said well even if we get the death we want like if we you know slay eight of our enemies and then we get killed by another sword in hands we're going to go to valhalla we're still going to die at ragnarok um but i want i for glory and to impress the all-father odin i want to go out in a way that yeah. I, I like that I, I prepare for myself kind of thing. Yeah. And so when it comes to, you know, fate, I think that modern day humans who maybe be like agnostic or atheist can relate to this, this like Norse paganism where you're, you're just like, well, I'm, I know my time here is limited yeah. and I'm going to try to do whatever I can to like be remembered or something like yeah. that, or I'm going to scream and be heard. And one of, one of my thoughts and, is like, Kind of meditated on you connecting uh, the idea of balance to fate, and I was thinking about that that idea, right? That maybe you can just go with fate, and that's where they say that goes to then one of the lower realms of of hell. And it's not that it's a punishment. That was a Christian idea that the average yeah. people, most people, go to the underworld. That's in Greek too, right? But then the people who use free will to do something exceptional go to Valhalla. Does that kind of fit with what you're describing? Yeah. Yeah, but then this is where like Norse, <laughs> this is where like Norse mythology can like contradict itself because like everybody wants to go to Valhalla, but what if the Norns decide you don't want to? Like, yeah. you could be this like bloodthirsty warlord who wants to like go to Valhalla and he wants to like not be afraid of death, not be afraid of battle. And then what if he stubs his toe and falls over and hits his head in a rock? You know, like that's what the Norns decided. So he goes to hell as opposed to Valhalla when it would have made sense for somebody like that to go to Valhalla. So it, it, the short answer is yes, but also there's so many like inconsistencies with Norse, like Norse religion that it's hard. Well, to that's say. my understanding of it too. And they, it seems unfair, but yet that's, and that goes to the question, right? Were you fated to be able to use your free will, right? Were you fated to be able to be a hero? Yet you still had to choose it. It goes back to my thing I was talking about last time, the, the phenomenological approach, right? Seeing it from a person's perspective versus what is the truth observable that everybody could agree on, right? Because you can talk about how people choose a decision and in the moment you think you're choosing, right? But everyone can say, well, of course you chose that given all the things that happened before and all the information you knew. That's what you were going to choose anyways, right? And if you kind of look at how people choose things on average, there's all kinds of theories of human behavior that say like, basically it's predetermined. You, can, you predict these things, it's pretty reliably, going to, not always perfectly, but pretty reliably going to go this way. And the reason the person didn't do what you thought they would do is the variable you forgot to measure. When you ask a person why they do what they do, it is for free will. Right? That's their perception of it. 
I felt like it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then that's another, I, I saw, oh, I wish I could remember the source, but I read to me. <laughs> it was talking about the theory of light, right? That it's a particle and it's a wave and it's both. And those ideas don't seem consistent, right? So that's a, is life determined or is it free will? Yeah. So is there an answer, but it's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where like, I, if you compare like the Christian thought to like the Norse pagan thought, there's, there's an in-between with free will and fate. Like in Christians, you're either fated to go to heaven or hell. And Norse paganism, you're fated to go to hell or Valhalla, but you're ultimately going to die anyway. Um, So there's like a difference in like the longevity of it. And the Norse pagan way means like, well, I want to live while I'm alive. Whereas the Christian way may just be like, well, I'm going to put my eggs on this Christianity basket. I'm going to be a devout Catholic and I'm going to go to heaven and live. Um, I'm going to live eternally with people that are, that like to sing. Hopefully next episode we'll get to more about, because that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, what's so great about Valhalla, right? What is there that you want, right? But we'll, we'll get, <laughs> I think next, next episode, as we get to some of the other realms and some of the other characters besides just giants and gods, I want to make sure I, I left you with my Lucius uh, Seneca quote that I was telling you by the text message. So that's the idea that fate is a horse drawn cart, right? So horses are pulling it, right? You don't, you don't have a say because you're just a dog tied to the cart. Well, fate's going where it's going, right? You, you don't have any any say in the matter unless you can chew through the rope, right? But if you chew through the rope, then you've left fate behind, you've lost your connection, right? But the free will you have is do you run along with the cart or are you dragged by the cart? It's kind of a nice saying. It sounds sort of positive, like, yeah, just keep keep up with the cart, keep running. But then I, I had the thought, as I thought, this is my personal take on it. Like if you fall down and you're being dragged by the cart, you can't ask the cart to stop to let you get back on your feet. So that mm-hmm. is not easy. That is... Uh, and that would be Viktor Frankl's idea of finding meaning and suffering that somehow you, that you do get yourself back up is actually better than being the person that kept going the whole time. So it's kind of like the, the purpose of life is to live it kind of thing. So you might as yeah. well run the cart or in my case, I don't feel like running. So I would try to jump on the cart. The purpose uh-huh. is right to choose. And then, yeah. And, then, <laughs> and what happens when you, you try your, so this is you trying to be uh, trying to get to Valhalla that you don't just run with the cart. You try to jump on it, but then you fall off and you break your leg in the wheels. And it's just, but and then I go to hell. No, so, no, no, that still might get you to Valhalla because you tried it and you got yourself horribly mangled and all of that. Uh, I, got, <laughs> oh, I think so. <laughs> if, um, let's say, Earth, Earth, uh, or Verthandi, your skull, decided Sean is going to go to Valhalla, we're going to give him like this glorious death. He's going to like drink meat and eat like this great, these great meats with the gods. I would find a way to fuck it up. I would just like. <laughs> you want to stub your toe and trip on the rock. Yeah. yeah, and the, the Nords would just look at me like, "What the fuck is wrong with him, this asshole?" Like, but <laughs> get to get re- reincarnated and try it again, right? That's I don't know if that's quite within uh, the Nord. Nord. You, you read about this in the Poetic Edda, and I believe the Prose Edda. Like after Ragnarok, there's a rebirth, yeah. and this is where like Odin's son. And this, I'm sure we're going to discuss Ragnarok in another episode. But Odin's son Baldur, who was killed, he actually survives. Ragnarok and he like starts this new world Thor's son Magni I think his name is survives and like they create this new world but like at what point is that literally Christian influence right. that like sit, like has this like significance of a rebirth just like Jesus Christ but anyway like then, that's, that's another topic but you know no I think that's for is for another day and then one of my thoughts on podcasts is sometimes they have this little so if that's the end of the episode then you throw something else at the end that's completely <laughs> not, yeah I have I have something what do you have what the hell happened to Thumla? Like, you don't really hear what happened to the fucking cow. No, yeah. I mean, like, the cow is uh, pretty much one of the most important, right? Is, is she just hanging out there in between? What was, what's the realm called between 
uh, Niflheim and Muspel. Ganoon Gagap. Is, is it like Gunny Gap or am I butchering it? Ganoon Ganoon Gagap. Ganoon Ganoon Gap. Oh yeah. Ganoon Gagap. Ganoon Gagap. Yeah. yeah. And one of the thing, one of the things that's funny in like the Norse stories, one yeah. there's another cow that that plays that features. It's in the saga of Ragnar Lothbrook. Yeah. Where the sons of Ragnar are at war with, I think, like a king in Sweden. And this king has a, a secret weapon that wins him every battle. It's a it's a cow that moves the enemy to death. <laughs> is is that her uh her revenge for getting written out of the story too early that she uh... yeah it was a it was a child of a thumla like you know what let's write our own story all the Norse stories that we have are like rewrites anyway so let's just like yeah. you know make our own source that says right. oh this is what actually happened to a thumla it's a fan fiction you know so yeah thumla fan fiction i don't know <laughs> that yet we'll, we got to find out if yeah. we, we just found the name of our podcast really a thumla <laughs> fan fiction <laughs> i don't know i'm kidding but what is, what is the name of our podcast yeah was something about a Thumla's revenge, though, but it's the it's the move that killed it, a thousand men. That's yeah, okay. Something like we'll figure something clever. <laughs> we have to stop there. <laughs> Is that the end? We leave it on that. Yeah, I guess so. Um, thanks everybody that may have been listening to this. Um, if we decide to broadcast this episode.